Welcome back to your Lenten podcast. It's week six. Father, we're wrapping it up. I'm Kevin Wells. This is your priest on a mission, Father Dan Leary of the Lenten Journey podcast, one-to-one podcast. Father Dan, welcome back. Great to be with you, Kevin. Hi, folks. God bless you from Chalco, Mexico. So, Father, we're riding high. We're, we're, we're deep into it. We're six weeks in. Uh, next week's the big one, right? We're, we're, we're stepping into the passion. Uh, maybe we're intensifying sort of our thoughts now about what next week's going to look like. What, right off the bat, what can you tell the viewers about how they maybe should look at starting next week? Yeah, great. Sunday's gospel, the Mark's gospel, you know, the the master has need of it. That's really what I've been chewing on and sharing with the kids and the and and the sisters. God has need of us as he used Father Al, as he's using the sisters, and really as he's going to use the, the children. God has need of us, just like he needed that donkey or that mule. He needs us, and we just have to have confidence that, that God has need of us. Father, I love how you make things very easy. God has need, has need of us. It puts it puts us it puts a visual in our mind. Like, what does he need from me? So, so thanks for that, Father. Speaking of needs, I, I heard from a sister that a few weeks ago. No one would know this, but I think that that folks should actually know what you're doing. You're you're not only spending, um, you know, all of your days with the kids and the sisters, but also every now and then you get outside the gates of Girls Town or Boys Town. And I was told that you actually entered in to a place of great devastation, great poverty uh, a couple weeks ago. Can you tell the viewer a little, a little bit about where you were? Yeah, Kevin, what I did really was amazing. It's something I'll never forget. I went down to the garbage dump where there's 2,000 people that work and 1,000 people live there. A buddy of mine, Craig, has a program called Hope for the Poor. And I saw the most astounding experience in my life, people living in the garbage dump. And the purpose of this was to go down there and eventually see about the opportunity for some of those young kids to come to the program here, to invite them to consider eventually to build a relationship so that the kids have hope and a dream and a plan to to leave that place and to come to, to the sisters. And so we're just in the formulating plans right now. But there I spent uh, the better part of a couple hours just participating um, in the distri- distribution of food and seeing the people, seeing the poor and the people coming up to me and greeting me. So it was a really profound moment in my in my uh, time here in Mexico. Well, Father, let me tell you what was profound for me. I heard that you brought something back to the girls, the 3,300 girls at Chalco, and you asked them to do something. Tell the viewer about what you asked them and how they responded. Yeah, well, it's always got to be mission-based, Kevin. That was Father Al. And so what I did was I came back and asked Mother Mother Hortensia, can we ask the girls to consider making a sacrifice? I met a little seven-year-old who kind of captured my heart. She lives there. And I asked them, um, would they consider making a sacrifice of their snack on Sunday? Every Sunday they get a sweet. Sometimes it's cookies or sometimes it's some other sweet. Would they consider sacrificing it? It was not mandatory. And so every building had a box where the girls could place a sacrifice. And I told about the girl, her name was Guadalupe. Her pants were too big. And when she was walking, sometimes she was seven-year-olds, her, her pants would kind of fall down by her by her thigh. And I'd say, Guadalupe, pull your pants up, right? I said, you know, I told the girls, I was like, yeah, her, I could see her underwear. And I was trying to help them understand the, the real poverty of a little innocent girl in this garbage dump. Well, 
Well, anyway, what was so amazing was the fact that the girls not only gave sweets, but, and we didn't ask them to do that. Some of them gave bars of soap. They get a monthly bar of soap. So some of them are sharing their bar of soap. Some of them wrote, love you, Guadalupe, or God bless you, Guadalupe. I mean, um, a couple of the girls gave up shampoo. So they're going to half their shampoo. Um, two really beautiful things is the girls get underwear here from the sisters. Some of them gave up their, their new underwear. So the sisters were sorting. It was really touching. And probably the most beautiful thing of all was one girl coughed up her toilet paper, man. I mean, that's sacred. You know, that stuff just isn't lying around. And anyway, it, it was beautiful. So a couple of days ago, we took all that down to the people that work there. The, the whole idea is even if you're poor, you have something to give. And the girls are like, Father, invite Guadalupe out, invite them all out. Let's go down there and serve food. So there's this really positive momentum to go and help, not just there but in their communities when they graduate. That's the whole thing, to be missionaries. And so, yeah, well, Father, beautiful. Father, it reminds me of the widow's might. It's the poor giving all to the poor. There, there's a certain dynamism in that. It, it's so it's so um, revolutionary almost. Like I don't have any, all I have is two pair of underwear. That's all I have. I'm poor, but someone's poorer than me, so they're going to get my, my second pair. Uh, you, you don't see that in very many places. It's just beautiful. I mean, there's many stories to it. Every time I walk across campus, they're like, how's Guadalupe? Like I talk to her every day. It's quite cute. It's really beautiful. Very good. Father, thank you for sharing that. It's what we need to hear. You know, we're, 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 we're fat and happy in America, in the West. We just need to hear how the poor treat the poor that are poorer than them. And we, we, we have to, especially going in to this week of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, it's that almsgiving quality that often uh, we forget about. I know Father Al used to say, if you just give off the top to a, to a, to a, a missionary, to your, or to your parish, whatever, it's really not, it's really not sacrifice. And those kids are, are the roll of toilet paper, their candy, their snack, and that, that's, that's true sacrifice. So, Father, I, I want to get into week six. I, I thought it'd be a lot of fun. You know, it's March Madness up here. You know, Villanova's still in it, Father. I know you're a Villanova grad. They're playing pretty pretty good basketball right now. But, you know, it, we go from 64 to 32 teams. Then we're going to go to the Sweet 16. You know how it works. So I, you and I both know, I, you know, I've, I've read Father Al's, all his books. You've read his books. We've prayed his prayers. But we know that in a certain way, his life was engineered by the saints. He couldn't get enough of the saints. So what I thought I'd do is, is I would rank, in my opinion, and you can nix them. Eh, Kevin, you're wrong. But I ranked them from one to ten, who I thought might have been Father Al's really top ten saints, who he sort of engineered his life around, his priesthood around. So I'm going to throw these out, and and I want you to respond to to maybe a, hey Kevin, you got this one right, or no Kevin, I don't see this, and then speak and then speak in your own terms about how this saint might have resonated in your own priesthood, because I think viewers would also want to hear about Father Dan. And, and the saints that I bring up. So, so viewers, Father Dan has no idea where I'm going right now. I'm just going to bring up 10 saints. We'll see how Father Dan responds to this. So we're going to start with the obvious one. It's pretty easy. So, so number one is the Virgin of the Poor, Our Lady of Benno. And, and, and I can go on and on, but Father, so we'll start there. It's an easy, that's a gimme. Why was Father Al drawn to the Virgin of the Poor? 
Number one, baby. Well, gosh, she called him. She formed him in the womb, so to speak, of her under her maternal heart. And that's where his priesthood was born. So you can't go away, can't go far with uh, without Our Lady being ranked number one. Yeah, that's the number one seed. That's like uh, Houston in 1983. I think they went 32-0 and 0 during the season. That's the easy number one seed. All right, now number two, Father. I think number two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to guess. You might get it wrong, but... Who was number two in Father Al's heart? This is the only one we're going to ask you to guess. Well, I, I don't think I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's St. Therese of Lisieux because she was man. she was go-to. Every time that Father Al needed something, man, he was banging on the Carmel door saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. And in all of his writing, excuse me, he was all about my my spiritual companion, St. Therese. No question. She was just beautiful, little things done with great love. Yeah. And, and Father, I think I think what he you know, what I what I see he got most out of her was her was her daily decision, her choice to make these self renunciations. She 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 subtracted from her day from her comfort and say said throughout the day, I'll make 100, 200, 300 little acts of sacrifice which is what Father Al always did. And I, I'm not going to let you escape, Father. Uh, did Therese of Lisieux or the Little Flower, has she spoken to your own priesthood the past 23 yeah. years? It, yeah, it was actually my mother's favorite saint. Uh, years ago, I found the story of a soul and I read it and it was my mother's copy. And I read it and at first it didn't, it didn't resonate with me. It was a little too emotional, but I've reread it down here. And I got to tell you, I've reread it with new eyes Folks, if you haven't read Story of a Soul yet and you can connect to Father Al and read some of his things, you're going to see how a priest connected to her and how she formed his priestly heart. So no question, Therese, the Story of a Soul is a powerful uh, commentary on the priesthood of Father Al. You know, it's funny you say that, Father. Um, Father Al thought that Therese of Lisieux was a drama queen, too, when she first when he first read her life. But he's like, no, no, actually, she wasn't. Yeah. She's actually a church doctor for this reason. They went on to read that book. They say they say over two dozen times throughout his life, and often, and, and he often read it in her original French language. Okay, number three. This is kind of a um, this is one you don't often think of, of Father Al, but I think he really stirred up a lot in Father Al. Saint Paul, Saint Paul. What 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 does that what does that do for you there? Well, it's it's hard because Saint Joe, Saint Joseph is in every chapel. So you got Our Lady on the left, the Blessed Sacrament in the middle, and Saint Joe on the right, the go-to guy. And he's either got a lily or he's got an axe, which is really symbolic of Father Al being courageous. But it's probably Saint Paul because all everything that that Father Al did was kind of forming the the, the missionary component of of, of Saint Paul. You know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The love of Christ urges me on. When he wrote his book to the sisters, it was constant references to St. Paul. So I think it's going to be a tie between St. Paul and St. Joseph because he goes to St. Joseph for chastity and obedience. And he teaches, he taught the kids and the sisters. He is the obedient one. He is the just one. And he is the chaste one. Those are the words that he used himself in his writings. And so I think the two of them, if folks also looked at St. Paul, read St. Paul, turned to St. Joe with this really dynamic reality that, you know, this guy wasn't 
just some ancient bearded guy that was standing next to this pretty girl. He was a man with great courage and a listening heart. So I would say it's a, it's a, it's a tie in the reality of those two being vibrantly present in his life. Father, I buy that. I'll buy that. All right. Number four, this, this one is a, this one comes out of left field, but I'm going to, but she struck my heart because, because she struck father Al's heart, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And here's what father said about her. And he was a mystic. And, and, and you could, you could, you could tell by what he said. He said, St. Margaret saw Jesus remove her heart and plunge it into his own. So, so, which is beautiful, but, 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 but father, I was also drawn to, the manner in which St. Margaret Mary knelt as physically close to the tabernacle as she possibly could, which, which tells me and tells you, Father, I'm sure, that he was deeply Eucharistic. Yeah, so what I think that Father Al captured in that is the, the close proximity with which he felt with the Eucharist, either literally or in the chapel, that he was drawn there. There's some beautiful images of him very close to the Blessed Sacrament, eyes open at times, eyes closed, but very close to the Blessed Sacrament, deeply connected. And even now when I have Eucharistic adoration, I mean, it's hard to describe, but the altar, I said to the sisters, look, come up all around the altar. And so what happens is, you know, they got Jesus surrounded. That poor guy, he can't escape. So he's got, you know, 15 sisters all coming at him from every angle, from the side, from the front, from the back. And, you know, poor Jesus, he's getting harangued by love everywhere. And I just love it. So that has filtered down into the reality of the sisters' hearts where they draw very close physically as well. It's quite profound, actually, to see this. Thanks, Father, for that visual. I think Jesus could probably handle more more around him. He can handle that. so this one's an obvious one. It should go up higher, but we're going to stick him in the middle because his entire ministry was based on this priest's life. And I'm going to ask you, I'm putting, Father, I'm putting you on the spot again. Who did Father Al, what saint did Father Al say, bam, I found the model to build my boys' towns and girls' towns around back in the mid-60s in Korea? You tee it up for me. It's too easy. St. John Bosco. No, 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 Father <laughs> <laughs> Saint True. Vincent de Paul, brother. Saint Vincent right. de Paul, right? <laughs> because he went after the sisters. Remember Maria Alacoque? Yeah. Alacoque. Okay. So Alacoque found all the 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 the, the poor the poor women that made into an order, the Daughters of Charity, and and de Paul went all over the place, you know, giving the spiritual talks, and Alacoque formed the sisters. No, bam, no, no good. <laughs> Folks, obviously, this is this is not rehearsed. Look, St. John Bosco was his missionary model as well, because that's how he envisioned taking all these street kids that he called them, so to speak, when they came to him and he formed them. So, look, we'll call it a tie. But, yeah, St. Vincent de Paul with his love for the poor and that idea of the miraculous medal. Absolutely. But I was going to throw in there St. John Bosco in the Salesian spirituality. You know, Father Al said there's no bad boy. There's no bad kid. And so he took that concept and he just said, the poor are not bad. They just need help to form to be saints. So, so Father, you hopscotch. That's my number six, St. John Bosco, okay? So don't, 
I you don't lose sleep tonight, Father. Don't lose sleep because you were right there. You're right around the bend was Bosco. So, Father, about Bosco, and I think you've read this in the past. If not, I'll, I'll uh, bring, it, bring it to the surface again. Bosco used to walk the halls of the boys, and, and, and a boy would come up, and his cheek would look like a chipmunk, and said, oh, Father Bosco, I have a toothache. I have a toothache. Look at my cheek. And, and, and Bosco would be like, oh, man, this is bad. He's got a fever. It's 104. So Bosco would go back into his room and pray to take on the toothache, and then the next morning, Bosco would wake up with the toothache. Are you are you aware of this? Yeah. Um, I I'm trying to take that on. Um, you know, I don't I don't have toothaches. I have different I have different aches, and so I don't always have the the physical or emotional or spiritual strength to take the toothache i'm stinking trying uh not because i gotta but because i wanna um and so i'm inspired by bosco i'm inspired by father al and i'm sharing with the sisters but it's a different yeah i mean i love the toothache analogy but um you know when you got 3500 girls in one place um, they don't all have toothaches. And I mean, look, Wells, you know, you can't sit in the confessional and not cry when, when, you know, when kids are coughing up their stuff and, you know, they're not my kids, uh, physically, but spiritually they are. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm doing my best to say, Lord, give it to me, um, because that's the role of a priest. Um, but, you know, I got to have the courage to do it and to want to do it and not just say it, you know. But I don't want to just say the Mass. I want to pray the Mass, and I don't want to just say, oh, Lord, give me this kiddo's pain, uh, because I want them to be free. That's the whole point. So, Father, coming in at number, number seven is one of my favorites, the Irishman St. Patrick. He lived up as a slave on that mountainside. And, and Father Al, I think, was really drawn to St. Patrick in that shack because it was through prayer, penance, and mortifications that Father Al received. And it was said that St. Patrick, when he was up on that mountain all by himself, he received in the same dimension. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, I, I would agree. Look, Father Al was no fool. You got to throw St. Patrick in there. Absolutely. He's a go-to guy and, you know, he's more than a clover. But Patrick was also an austere man and, and a sacrificial man who was able to really understand the mission that God had put in his heart. Christ before me, Christ to my left, Christ to my right, Christ behind me. And so that whole, the breastplate of Patrick probably was a source of consolation for Father Al when he, when he felt alone. Yeah, yeah. And also, I'm just thinking of this, Father. He threw pagan Ireland on his back, and Father Al threw the orphans on his back. So in yeah, a certain yeah. way, they were the, kind of the same in that. Uh, now, this one, this is actually my patron saint, so I had to throw him in there. I don't care if Father Al liked him or not, but I'm throwing him in, okay? At number eight, St. Thomas More. And I love what Father Al said about St. Thomas More. He said, <laughs> the poor martyred saint in our imagination is comfortably seated in front of a roaring British fire, 
reading the latest writings on Erasmus with a glass of brandy nearby. However, the little known fact is that Moore lived a life of great austerity. He wore a hair shirt and was more familiar with sacred scripture than he was the secular writings of the day. Yeah, I, I saw that too uh, in one of my readings. I, I would just say that Father Al was always drawn to those folks that were so, um, that had that austerity and at the same time were scripture based. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Moore is always kind of presented as like a Mr. Rogers. And I just think it's just a foolish presentation. He was a brilliant man with an austere life. It, and Mr. Rogers didn't lose his head. I mean, you know, Mr. Rogers also kind of, the, the sweater, you know, losing the head with that kind of sweater, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Those two, they don't line up. Uh, so, yeah, and also Father Al was drawn to the martyrs. And I think that's another reason why I love more. Okay, the, the next one's easy. It's number, number nine. He's a no-brainer. Everyone throws him out. You're like, hey, who do you identify with? You could talk to your next-door neighbor or your, the guy at the church. Who do you, oh, well, I identify with Peter or, or I identify with St. Francis of Assisi. Okay, so we got to throw him in there. St. Francis of Assisi. Obviously, the saint of poverty. So, Father, I was drawn to him. All right. So, Wells, you got to understand this. And, folks, Father Al wrote, and I read this 20, 27 years ago dogs in poor countries eat better than humans do in poor countries. And he had witnessed that. So, he was not drawn to St. Francis in the concept of animals. Father Al was, was a very uh, simple man, and, but at the same time focused on the dignity of the child. So he was drawn to St. Saint Francis, obviously because of his love for the poor and his, his love to preach the, the, the grace of God in a person's life. But Kevin, it was obviously he was very strong about why it is that that children are suffering more than animals. And he was very clear about that. That really I, I preached about that for years in my ministry about the idea of animals and the idea of um, the poor eating less, better than the animals. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Number 10 is my other patron saint. I threw him in there, but Father, I was deeply drawn to him. Saint John of the Cross, um, who, who spent so much of his life in intense prayer. Uh, so Father, I'll ask you two questions. Why was Father Al drawn to him in your opinion? And do you see Saint John of the Cross in your own priesthood? Well, first, I don't have him at 10. He's got to go up higher because even the cover of the book To Live is Christ is the actual cross on the cover of the collected works of St. John of the Cross. And because he was connected to St. Therese and the Carmelites and St. Therese, Therese of Avila. And so, Father, I was drawn to that nada spirituality, that nothing, that purgation of the senses, this purgation of, of, the, of the spirit, which is you go to the God of consolation, not the consolation of God. And so for me, um, 
St. John of the Cross has been a great source of spiritual reading because it's opened up the scriptures and helping me to understand the interior battles sometimes that go on in the in my senses and in my spirit. So John of the Cross has been uh, a spiritual guide for me at various points pretty consistently through my priesthood. Thank you, Father. That wraps up the top 10. Uh, thanks for playing the game, Father, and, and let me uh, sort of throw these at you there. You responded very well. 10 out of 10 for you, Father. So I, I do want to, I do want to, I'm going to beg one more thing out of you. So next week is Holy Week and Father Al took it enormously serious. He, he fasted intensely. He did things next week that, that others just don't do. So in, in, in speaking to the viewer about how to take next week, again, I'm going to ask you, what would you encourage the viewer maybe to take this, this week in this year, especially with, with a lot going on in this world that you know, it's deeply confusing? What would you encourage the viewer to do the entire week? We're talking Sunday until Sunday. We're going through a whole lot. Well, you know, from the beginning of <clears throat> the concept of the master has need of it, you go into a lot of concept of betrayal. And I think you go into a deeper mystery of you see this dichotomy of betrayal and rejection and then the love of Christ and this whole dynamic that plays out in this next week. And yet at the same time, there's this resurrection hope. I think there's a couple of levels, Kevin. First is I think there's a voice of, that's resonating in the folks on many levels of betrayal um, and betrayal on those levels that what is going to be my response Christ responded with charity, but he also responded with a mission. So the first is I think that the folks have to recognize the moments of betrayal in their lives, they need to bring before the Lord, really ask for the grace, because in that moment, you get you, you get that grace to be healed of the Judas. And sometimes you even have to, people have to forgive themselves. Secondly, you have to recognize that it's a week of hope. You know, we enter into the profound moment of Good Friday. And at the same time, you know, there's that resurrection hope that's really come alive for me more than ever before in my priesthood. I loved our CIA. But let me tell you something. When you see a kid that enters a conversation or enters the box and they're beat up from some craziness that's happened in their lives and you're just thinking, man, I can't wait till this little kid resurrects. And that means they start smiling. They start walking straight. They start playing games. I don't know. They get all their beautiful moments of just joy and laughter. And, you know, sometimes they're crying, whatever. It's all that teenage stuff. But they're crying with hope. They're not just crying because there's no hope. Um, so I've seen just constant resurrections in my in the ministry my, down here. And the third thing I would say is that it gives a mission. You know, man, I... I I just don't want people to heal. <laughs> like, what's the point? You know, I don't, you don't get healed and then you sit on the bench. You get, you get healed and you get in the game. I, I have to tell you something, Wells. The other day I was helping a kid, just a couple of weeks ago, and she went through some really rotten stuff, man. And she's an older kid in the school. And then she's like, yeah, my sister's here. And my sister went through the same thing. I'm like, what? So... I said, well, do you want me to talk to your sister? She said, yeah. So the two of them come and see me and they start talking 
and they're talking about their pain. And then, you know, they're both crying. I'm crying. One's got these gigantic teardrops. I mean, she's filling the blue shirt, man. And I'm like, well, I bless them both with holy oil. And then the older sister, I go, I blessed her hands. I was like, you got to bless your little sister. Well, the little one just starts crying. That puts her head on their sister's chest. And then I'm like, look, you got to bless your sister. So then she blesses the older sister, right? And they're just slobbering all over each other. So I got to back off because that's it's staying in my sweet blue shirt here. And then the older one asked to meet me and she brings one of her classmates who had the same stuff. She's like, father, this one had the same stuff. So like, that's what missionary zeal is, man. And I, I, I just think that that's what it's all about after Easter Sunday, like get on your stinking horse and go out and evangelize and especially the poor and, and don't have the concept that the, the idea of missionary activity is easy. It begins with an interior conversion and then you go out and the grace of God flows through you like living water. And then everybody's healing. That's the whole thing. Yeah, thank you, Father. They don't go out as social justice workers when they graduated. They go out as resurrected souls, those type of witnesses. You, you broke it down so beautifully. That's the They're, they're Christ-like witnesses for the world. Thank you, Father. Uh, with that said, speaking of resurrection, week seven, the conclusion of the, uh, of the, of the podcast of the Lenten Journey, we're going to wrap up with the resurrection. Where prayer, where fasting, where almsgiving got us the past seven weeks, and especially with some of the things that Father Dan had to share about some of these, some of these sufferings we need to go through, whether it's a shack or sticking our hands in cold water or more intense prayer, uh, where, where we are seven weeks later and where we're going to go forward. On this podcast, um, we've heard from a lot of folks, a lot of ideas about where they want to take it from here. And, and Father Dan and I will talk more about it after week seven. So thank you guys for, for locking down and for listening and for your comments. We're, we're deeply encouraged, encouraged by them. So, Father, before you lead us out in a blessing, is, is there anything else you want to share? No, just it's great. Look, you know, next time, Wells, give me something to practice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. Wells doesn't send me anything. And so I got to practice live. And as as you know, I got a face for radio. So I got to do my best, man. I got to do my best. Father, no problem. I'll I'll start work on that tonight for you. I'll I'll give you a lot of prep time. But why don't you lead us out in a blessing going into Holy Week? May the Lord bless you, protect you, give you peace. And the Holy Spirit come upon you and give you grace. May you know in your heart that the Master has need of you. And may you accept this mission, whatever it is, to evangelize, to bring hope, healing, grace, and joy, and that vision of resurrection to the people around you. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Our Lady, Virgin of the Poor, St. Therese, St. Joseph, St. John Bosco, St. Vincent de Paul, St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. God bless you, folks.